Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. I believe there is fraud. My own ballot? No, I, I'm not concerned, but... Sure, there's there's probably always been fraud with it. Right. It might be more prevalent now, actually. He also likes to inject chaos. And if he puts just some doubt in people's minds, then they will question themselves, question their vote, rather than going with what they firmly believe. One month out from Election Day, Republican and Democratic voters in one of Michigan's crucial swing counties disagreeing over the integrity of the 2020 election and the president's efforts to undermine it. Hello, everyone. I'm CNN political director David Chalian. And I'm CNN senior political reporter Nia Malika Henderson. Welcome to Politically Sound. We saw polar opposite attitudes towards voting in the 2020 election at Tuesday's debate. Joe Biden urged as many Americans as possible to vote however they can. Show up and vote. You will determine the outcome of this election. Vote, vote, vote. While President Trump continued to baselessly claim widespread fraud. As far as the ballots are concerned, it's a disaster. They're sending millions of ballots all over the country. This is going to be a fraud like you've never seen. In this episode, we will break down the strategy behind the president's anti-voting campaign, as well as what it means for an already ongoing election barreling towards the finish line. We'll also be joined by CNN's chief legal analyst Jeffrey Tubin to preview the legal battles that will in all likelihood consume this election and tell you just how far down the legal rabbit hole this could all go. So it's time to tune out the noise and tune in to what's politically sound. So, David, first off the top, I'm coming back from a little head cold, so that's why my voice sounds a little stuffy here. I got it from my little daughter, Bellasaurus, so just want to want to say that off the top. I'm glad you're feeling better, Nia. Thanks so much. Thanks so much. And I don't have COVID. I got a test, and I'm all clear of that. So let's just start, David, first with what I think is the first kind of goal that this president has in all of this, the delegitimizing of the mail-in ballot process, talking about uh, voter fraud, his main goal is to delegitimize the election because he thinks he's going to lose. What does it mean for voters as they figure out what they want to do in terms of voting and in terms of this election? I mean, here's the fundamental mission. You say he's delegitimizing the election, what is also just amazing is, you know, how much he is at odds with his own 
FBI director, right? I mean, we, we hear from Christopher Wray, there is no widespread voter fraud in America related to mail-in ballots. And so what Donald Trump is facing, as is often the case with Donald Trump, is a reality that doesn't match up with what his goal is. And so he's trying to create uh, some alternate reality, but it's so dangerous. It is so dangerous. And, you know, we've talked about this notion of election night, right? And I can't stress how important this is enough, Nia, for just our listeners to prepare themselves. It is going to be a different kind of election night than folks have seen before because half the country is going to be voting by mail or absentee. We haven't seen that before. So it is a dramatically uh, different manner in which people are voting and a manner in which it takes a longer time to count the vote, right? I mean, a lot of these states, if it's postmarked by election day, there are extended windows of time after election day by which ballots can still come in and rightfully be counted. And it is going to take longer to count the votes. That's the reality of this election. So folks need patience. The person who doesn't want anyone to have any patience is Donald Trump. He couldn't have made it more clear that he wants what you see on election night to be the final word on this matter. Because we know that the early and male voters are more inclined to be Biden supporters and the election day voters are more inclined to be Trump supporters, Nia. And so when Donald Trump says, just look at November 3rd, that is the answer. There should be nothing. He's saying, I want to disenfranchise Democratic voters. I mean, that is basically what he's saying. And that is the only way that I can be declared the victor in this race. I mean, it is the stuff of banana republics. It is the thing that sets America apart from the world in our history has been our commitment to free and fair elections, that legitimately free and fair elections, not that we don't have a history of uh, voter suppression and real problems about this, but our example to the world as a small-D Democratic leading country has been, at the very core, free and fair elections. And the president of the United States of America is trying to undermine the hallmark of American democracy. And, Nia, one of the things that I think, before we even get to the vote counting that is going on, Donald Trump just is trying to get voters not to show up and vote, is... A, a real mission to intimidate voters long before we get to election. This talk of poll watchers. What is that about? No, and David, you talked about the real danger here. Not only the idea that he is undermining the crown jewel that is sort of the American identity around the world, uh, which is that we believe in free and fair elections, we believe in democracy, and we believe every man and woman should have the right to vote, with some exceptions, uh, obviously throughout our history. Uh, But the idea that he is encouraging over and over again His people, he is encouraging those folks to go out uh, and be poll watchers. Here he is telling his supporters to go to the polls to watch for this imaginary fraud that he's been telling them exists. They're trying to rig an election, and we can't let that happen. I hope you're all going to be poll watchers. I hope you are. Because with you people watching the polls, it's going to be pretty hard to cheat, I'll tell you. I wouldn't want to be a cheater. I wouldn't want to be a cheater. I think we don't have to guess 
what Trump is suggesting uh, might happen to a cheater if someone is there who's a poll watcher, who is a Donald Trump supporter, and supposedly finds uh, somebody cheating. And, and we know, given what we know about Donald Trump, we know where he thinks of a cheating will happen, right? Democratic areas, black and brown voters. And so the kind of toxic mix of violence and intimidation uh, and danger that he is encouraging is quite chilling uh, when you think about it, and certainly unprecedented in modern times. The Republican Party hasn't been able to monitor polls since uh, this 1981 court ruling barred them uh, after there was voter intimidation in, in New Jersey. And we know what is happening. His supporters are listening to him. We've seen at some of these polling places, for instance, in, in Virginia, I think, some early polling places, you saw some— you know, Trump supporters out there kind of intimidating voters there. And the question, the really scary question is how far they will go. You've seen governors and secretaries of state speaking out on this, trying to lay out some sort of plan, trying to say that voter intimidation is a crime, that it won't be accepted in their states and their jurisdictions. I, I think that they have to do a lot more than they're doing. Oh, I think totally. every governor and secretary of Had state real needs plan. to be like holding the way that a lot of them handled sort of the COVID pandemic, like that kind of cri- like there should be daily sort of voting task force, governors, secretaries of state, press conferences uh, every yeah. day, getting this message out to their residents in their state about how they're going to be able to safely vote and that their vote is going to be counted and what protections they are putting in place. I think you're right these governors have got to let voters in these states know that they can safely go to the polls. I mean, it's crazy because now they don't even, they obviously have to worry about COVID and catching COVID, but they now also have to worry about this secondary issue, which is, are people going to show up uh, at their polling places? And again, we know what polling places they're going to be showing up at. They're not showing up at their polling places. They will likely (laughs) go to uh, polling places uh, where they think are are heavily Democratic, in cities, uh, where black and brown folks are to try to keep those folks from voting because we know uh, when those cities really vote and, and turn out uh, that that would be bad for this president. And so in some places, is, Nia, they'll be violating the law. You can't, well, like you, exactly. I, I mean, I know you mentioned the consent decree that no longer is in place between the uh, Republican National Committee and the Democratic National Committee on, on some of this stuff about poll watchers. Right. But there are laws in place about distance from a polling place and when you can gather and what kind of communication can be made to voters going into that polling place or not. Most polling places do not allow poll watchers. Yeah. Like that, that's good not reason. A, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, like, he's he's also just encouraging illegal behavior in many places. And to voters, what does this mean? What What is the sort of effect on this election? I mean, this is the million-dollar question that we ask every week. This kind of terrible environment that people have to vote in, not only COVID, and now thinking about this president who wants to claim, even before voters have gone to the polls, at least in person, to say this whole thing is rigged. Yeah, listen, you see that the race has been pretty stable, right? I mean, this has yeah. been a race now for months that has been in Joe Biden's favor and that Donald Trump is the underdog for re-election. The thing to your exact question that I keep sort of thinking about as I cover this every night, because I, I don't, you know, I, I mean, I think polls only get you so far into, right. and like, I don't think you can just rely on polls to tell you the state of a race. They, they help. And when they all agree with each other as they do now, they even help more uh, to understand. But 
the voter suppression piece of this and the potential for foreign interference piece of this, they are not captured in polls. And those are two elements that could have very real-world impact on the results of the election. And so for people who think like, oh, this is just in the bag for Joe Biden because everything they see in every poll says that it is, they have no way of factoring in foreign interference or successful voter suppression efforts. And to me, those are big, outstanding questions here. I think that's right. The voter suppression efforts that we see happening now are people sort of intimidated not to go to the polls and not to mail in their ballot. And then after, what happens after Election Day in terms of all of the court cases we're going to see in real attempts to suppress the vote again by throwing out a certain ballots? And again, we know what ballots that at least the Trump campaign thinks are suspicious, uh, the ones that come from Democratic areas uh, in cities and black and brown voters. And when we come back, we'll talk with Jeffrey Tubin about how this fight over the integrity of the election will play out in the courts. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support, your sleep number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number Limited Edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Here with us now is CNN Chief Legal Analyst Jeffrey Tubin. He's going to help us walk through the legal tangle that this could all become. Jeffrey, the president on Tuesday affirmed that he plans on challenging the election results in the Supreme Court. I think I'm counting on them to look at the ballots, definitely. I don't think we'll, I hope we don't need them in terms of the election itself. But for the ballots, I think so. What was your reaction to that when you heard that on the debate stage? And what should our listeners expect from this court process? Well, I, my reaction were the four words that sum up everything that Donald Trump does, which are shocking but not surprising. But given the politicization of the judiciary, given how polarized our country and our courts are, I am not sure that um, he won't succeed, or to put it affirmatively, he may succeed. You know, a as complicated as the legal situation is surrounding this election, it's not clear how, if at all, the election will get before the Supreme Court, who will be the parties to the case, um, what will be the stakes, will it be like Bush v. Gore, you know, the, the entire outcome will rest on it, or will it be a peripheral issue? 
You perfectly teed up your report there in your reference to Bush v. Gore, because obviously it is not unprecedented, even in modern American political times, for the Supreme Court to have play a decisive role in the presidential election. But as you said, many questions about how that could come to be, if it is to come to be this time around. So now let's give a listen to your piece sort of explaining to us how both parties' legal strategies are forming around this 2020 presidential election. Recount, they are saying. Recount. Uh, There's no reason to think (laughs) that this election is going to end any less bizarrely. The immediate aftermath of the presidential election in 2000 has taken on the air of legend. On election night, news organizations first called Florida for Vice President Al Gore. Two hours later, they withdrew the call. Stand by, stand by. Uh, CNN right now is moving our earlier declaration of Florida back to the too-close-to-call column. And four hours after that, they decided that George W. Bush had won the state, giving him enough electoral votes to become president. Bush wins. Florida goes Bush. The presidency is Bush. That's it. Gore followed the process and called for a recount. But Bush fought back, turning to the courts to stop the votes from being recounted. Ultimately, that proved to be his salvation. The Supreme Court, by a vote of five to four, held that the recount violated Bush's rights, thus sealing his victory in Florida. Bush was declared the winner in Florida by 537 votes out of some six million cast. But his decision to challenge the election in court, combined with Gore's faith in the electoral process, is a legacy of that decision that is very fresh in our minds today. This year, the coronavirus pandemic will force dramatic changes in how voters cast their ballots. With the number of mail-in ballots increasing substantially, the aftermath of the 2020 election has the potential to make 2000 look like a mere skirmish. One thing we know for sure is that Trump is already having this fight in public. As far as the ballots are concerned, it's a disaster. They're being sent all over the place. They sent two in a Democrat area. They sent out a thousand ballots. Everybody got two ballots. This is going to be a fraud like you've never seen. But Democrats are saying that they won't just follow the process like Gore did. They're ready to fight, too. And we're going to undertake a historic effort in terms of resources, commitment, to beat back every voter suppression effort. Each party has already created a website to track the process of election litigation around the country. By one accounting, there are now more than 200 pending lawsuits about the rules for the November election. The claims in the lawsuits vary, but there are consistent themes. The Republicans are insisting on measures that they say will prevent voter fraud. The Democrats are seeking to make it easier to vote and to relax restrictions that prevent individual ballots from being counted. For instance, a number of Republican-backed lawsuits in Pennsylvania, a crucial swing state, focused on ballot harvesting, the practice of collecting numerous ballots and submitting them all at once. In this case, a Pennsylvania court ruled in the Republicans' favor. In a separate ruling, however, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court handed the Democrats an important victory, maintaining that all mail-in ballots 
postmarked by election day should be counted. In another series of lawsuits, the Trump campaign sued states like Nevada and New Jersey for their decisions to greatly expand mail-in voting, citing the potential for fraud. But in a loss for Republicans, both mail-in ballot rulings were upheld. The Republican position is based on the fact that there was fraud that took place or a need to prevent fraud. That's Benjamin Ginsburg, the Republican Party's foremost election lawyer. The need to prevent fraud is absolutely valid for state legislators to put in their their laws. But if you have a pattern of cases in which you are deliberately trying to stop certain groups that oppose you, you're putting up barriers to their voting, then that's more problematic. He's acknowledged that widespread voter fraud just doesn't exist. But he's pointed out that even when Republicans fail to win in court, their lawsuits succeed in raising issues that Trump and his campaign may use to claim fraud if Biden comes out ahead in November. Never before in our history have we had a president who has challenged elections before they've even taken place for being rigged and fraudulent. And that has a real impact on the way the country runs. The possibilities for disputes about actual ballots are nearly endless. And we can expect a high disqualification rate for absentee ballots over things like mismatched signatures, which poses a special peril for Democrats. We've already seen high disqualification rates for mail-in votes in primary races around the country this year, according to the Washington Post and NPR. And even more worrisome, a study from the University of Florida found mail-in ballots of racial and ethnic minorities and of young voters were rejected at a substantially higher rate than those of older white voters across counties. That may be why the president has already moved from allegations of fraud to intimations of unlawfulness and violence. President Trump, you I'm go urging first. my supporters to go into the polls and watch very carefully because that's what has to happen. I am urging them to do it. But if I see tens of thousands of ballots being manipulated, I can't go along with that. So as President Trump keeps escalating and the lawsuits keep coming, one thing does seem clear. Anything short of a landslide for either Biden or Trump could lead to chaos. Jeffrey, thanks so much for walking us through all of that. It is super helpful. So I want to delve a little deeper. I read your piece in The New Yorker, and the stuff in that amazing piece of journalism that that you put forth that jumped out to me as a junkie for this kind of stuff is the stuff around uh, the 1887 Electoral Vote Count Act. So this is separate and apart from all the ballot issues that we're talking about right now that Americans are going to encounter. And I'm wondering uh, if you can take us inside that a little bit, because the scariest thing in your piece to me in The New Yorker was that there's not a consensus on exactly how this electoral voting law applies. Well, um, as my dad liked to say, to make a long story unbearable, um, (laughs) the in 1876, there was the disputed Hayes-Tilden election. The Congress came up with this solution on the fly where they established a 15-member committee, five senators, five members of the House, five Supreme Court justices, which split eight to seven to give the election to Hayes. 
they realized that that was a really bad idea, and they wanted to establish sort of a, a set of rules for what to do about disputed elections. That's what led to the Electoral Count Act of 1887. In 140 years, that act has never been tested. We have never had an election that had to be resolved according to those provisions. What shocked me in talking to the professors who have studied the Electoral Count Act, even though it's never been applied, is that even they don't understand how it works, that the law is so convoluted and so confusingly written and so ambiguous that there are major disputes likely to occur if the Congress has to try to resolve this election rather than one candidate conceding. So there, you know, it's one thing to have the Supreme Court evaluate um, the casting of votes as they did in Bush v. Gore in 2000. What the Supreme Court may also have to do, or instead have to do, is tell Congress how to resolve the election according to the Electoral Count Act, because there are multiple competing versions of how that could work. Jeffrey Tubin, thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Nia, as I'm sure was not a surprise to you, a long observer of all things Donald Trump in this presidency, this debate, this presidential debate, obviously felt quite differently than any presidential debate uh, we <laughs> had ever think? seen before. Um, I mean... Besides just it being a total chaotic disaster, again, in a presidential debate setting, the current occupant of the office, the president of the United States, is up there on that stage using that platform in front of 73 million Americans we know that tuned in on television to call into question the very integrity of the election. This is not a one-off thing. It seems to me this is going to be Donald Trump's, like, chief campaign talking point for the next— 30 days. Yes, this is a strategy. We've seen it play out, whether it's in terms of what he's doing on the stump, whether it's in terms of what Republican lawyers are doing all over the country, uh, filing lawsuits in, in these different states, the kind of things that Tubin talked about. This is the strategy. Suppress the vote, undermine the integrity of this election, obviously, and then challenge it through the courts. We have two different camps here. We saw this come out in the debate. Biden saying that he will accept the results of the election and Donald Trump essentially saying, huh, he's he's not really sure, which means he, he likely uh, won't accept the results of these uh, uh, this election, particularly if he loses. We also know that he is causing all of this chaos and throwing into question this election because he is looking at the polls. It is despicable. It is uh, terribly undemocratic. And I do think there is something else going on with Donald Trump. If you think about Donald Trump's forays into politics, into this 2016 run, it was all about rebranding, right? And it seems to me that one of the ways that Donald Trump is trying to brand himself, should he lose, is essentially as a kind of patron saint of angry white America. So if he loses, he can forever become the rightfully elected president uh, who was sort of defrauded of the office by Democrats, by Democrats who rigged the election uh, with the help of black and brown Americans. And, and that's why I think win or lose, Donald Trump is here to stay. Uh, his movement is here to stay. And so I know there have been times when I have, you know, had takeaways that were full of sort of fear and 
in despair. And in some ways, I mean, I'm there again with what he's doing, not only what this means for this election, but what it means going forward for the kind of kind of anger and violence and fear that he's stirring up among his uh, followers, which I think will be with him no matter what he wins or loses, and likely more angry if they believe that he lost because of Democrats and because of this sort of rising America and black and brown America. I totally agree with you that Donald Trump is not going anywhere. I totally agree with you on that. I mean, he will be the new version of Fox News if he loses. But I will say this, and this is, you know, I love numbers, Nia, and this is one of my takeaways from this week, which is that you noted that the president is keenly aware that Democrats are outpacing Republicans and signing up for these absentee ballots. And that's why he's undermining the whole process of voting absentee, except where he uh, says to his supporters, listen, if that's the way you're going (laughs) to vote, I need your vote. And so you need to do that as well. Sorry if you hear a little bit of that construction noise happening right outside the audio booth that we're recording the podcast in. We're going to continue to power through. Listen to these numbers from our team that's looking at all of these absentee ballot requests, okay? The Democratic advantage. Overall, registered Democrats have requested about 6.5 million ballots, trouncing the more than 3.8 million ballot requests from registered Republicans in the 11 states that release information about party identification uh, with these ballot requests. That is an enormous advantage. And again, it's what we see in all the pre-election polling. And I think this is just so important for people to get drilled into their heads as they listen to this conversation. We are dealing with two significantly different electorates in the absentee voting and the mail voting and the election day in-person voting. It is two different, politically significantly different universes of voters. And that is something Donald Trump keenly understands, and it is why he is attacking this process that is a legitimate process. He's taking the Democratic universe of voters, and he is calling it illegitimate and fraudulent when it is not, and that, as you said earlier, Nia, is dangerous. And it will continue after Election Day into the courts, as we talked about. David, that's it for this week's episode of Politically Sound. Thanks for listening. If you could take a few minutes to give us a rating and a review, a good one, we'd really appreciate that. And please subscribe, if you haven't already, wherever you get your podcasts. Politically Sound is a production of CNN Audio. This episode was produced by Will Cadigan and Mimi Mutesa. Haley Thomas is the senior producer. Raj Makija is the senior production manager. And Francisco Monroy is our engineer. David Toledo is the team's production assistant, and we give a special thanks to Abby Sharp for her help on this week's episode. The executive producer of CNN Audio is Megan Marcus. We'll see you all next week. When you work, you work next level. When you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. 
quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 